Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Four years, the 4th of July, has been one of my favorite holidays. Not just because I like pretty colors and things, which I do. I love pretty lights. I, I like, you know, bright clothing and shoes. I, I wear them um, largely because you get to a point in life when you say, you know what, I'm just going to wear what I really like, and I like pretty stuff. So that's what I do. And 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 what guy doesn't like to blow things up? <laughs> and that's that's what happens on the Fourth of July. Oftentimes, you get to blow things up. No, beyond that. It is what the 4th of July stands for. When celebrating this holiday with family and friends, I have always found it important to stop and take a moment to remember why we are celebrating the founding of our country. Jesus told all Christians to come and take communion and, quote, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why do you think that he did this? I mean, why would he say to do something like this? Well, it seems a little weird that he would ask us to to eat some bread and drink some drink to remember him. But God knew how we're all wired. And why? Because he wired us, right, in the first place. I, I love to play board games, and I have a lot of them. But even a board game that I've not played in a while... I'll forget how much I really love to play the game. I'll forget that I even have it. And then all of a sudden I'll go and I'll look and see what game I want to play and I'll see it and I'll go, oh yeah, love that game. Let's play it. I, I'll i even have to go reread the instructions of, of how to play it after breaking it out again. <laughs> because I've forgotten maybe some of the rules or how to set it up. Well, Jesus knew we would forget the importance of what he did on the cross. He knew that even that, that making a way for our salvation, would get lost in the hustle and the bustle of everyday life unless we stopped and took the time to occasionally remember. Now, some Christians will say that we should just celebrate holidays with religious significance. To that, I say, the 4th is a religious holiday. July 4th is a religious holiday. And and you may say, Doug, you have just gone too far this time. (laughs) Well, for for this insight, Time Magazine tells us you you can thank John F. Kennedy. On July 4th, 1946, Kennedy, then 29 years old, the Democratic nominee, by the way, for a Massachusetts congressional seat, and still a lieutenant in the Navy Reserve, was the featured speaker at the city of Boston's Independence Day celebration. He spoke to uh, Faneuil Hall, the, the red brick building where you know long ago the colonists had gathered to uh, protest taxes imposed by King George III and his parliament. But uh, Kennedy began talking not about taxes or about the British or about, you know, consent to the governed, but, but about religion. 
quote, the informing spirit of the American character has always been a deep religious sense. Throughout the years down to the present, a devotion to fundamental religious principles has characterized American through an action, is exactly what he said. For anyone wondering what this had to do with Independence Day, well, Kennedy made the connection explicit. Quote, our government was founded on the essential religious idea of uh, integrity of the individual. It was this religious sense which inspired the authors of the Declaration of Independence. You know, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Now, it was a, th- a theme that Kennedy would return during the, the, the 1960 presidential campaign when, in a speech to the Mormon tabernacle in, in Salt Lake City, he described the Cold War as, quote, a struggle for supremacy between two conflicting ideologies, freedom under God versus ruthless, godless tyranny. I like that. I liked, I, I really like that quote. And let me repeat it again. He said, a struggle for supremacy between conflicting ideologies, freedom under God versus ruthless, godless tyranny. And again, in his inaugural address on January 20th of 1961 in Washington, D.C., when he said, quote, the same revolutionary benefits for which our forebears fought are still at issue around the globe. The belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God, unquote. Whatever Kennedy's motives were as a politician for you know, emphasizing this point, uh, you know, on the historical substance he had, uh, it it absolutely was correct. the The Declaration of Independence issued from Philadelphia on July fourth, seventeen seventy six, included four separate references to God, in addition to the endowed by their creator line mentioned by John F. Kennedy in his July 4th speech. There is an operating statute to the the laws of nature's God, unquote, an appeal to the supreme judge of the world, and a closing expression of, quote, firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, unquote. A signer of the Declaration, Samuel Adams, you probably have heard of him, right? Writing to a friend on July 9th, wished the Declaration had been issued earlier. Quote, if it had been done nine months ago, we might have been judged in the sight of God, unquote. George Washington announcing the Declaration of Independence to the troops in a general order dated July 9th. And, 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 and let, me, let me stop here just a, a, a second. How, how wonderful would it have been to have been in the Revolutionary Army, let's say under George Washington or whatever, you, you have given up much of 
what you um, have have worked for, your uh, your safety, your family, even, and, and you're you're in the army, and you are fighting for independence, and and these founding fathers put together this wonderful document, the Declaration of Independence, saying, you know what, we are no longer under your rule as a king, we are our own, and we are independent from you. How how wonderful would it have been to, to be one of those troops and then hear George Washington say this, quote, the general hopes and trusts that every officer and man will endeavor to live and act and become as becomes a Christian soldier defending the dearest rights of liberties of our country, knowing that now the peace and safety of his country depends, under God, solely on the success of our arms, unquote. I mean, how, how wonderful would it have been to have heard him say that, to know that this, this Declaration of Independence was signed and stated, and you are one of the, the, the people that is in charge of, of maintaining this and for fighting for it. That would have been awesome. That would have been an awesome place to be. Scary, yes, but awesome. So admit all the fireworks and the barbecue smoke this this 4th of July. Consider pausing for a moment to reflect on the one our, our, our founding fathers called the creator. As Kennedy realized, the American Revolution, and thus the country we live in today, obviously, started with God. And with the 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 founder's beliefs in the rights that are his gift to us. Whatever your religious views, or lack of them, depending, if you are an American, it's at least worth understanding the idea on which our nation was founded. This foundation came at a great sacrifice, a great sacrifice. Many gave everything that they had, not even knowing if their efforts would ultimately succeed. I mean, going back to those soldiers that were listening to George Washington uh, talk about the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I mean, they did not know that the giving of their lives, if that was to be the, the cost, would produce freedom for very long. I mean, there was a huge, there, there were huge odds and a huge army that wanted to reverse everything that they had just done. They, they did it because they knew what, you know, God was calling them to create it was a, a country founded on godly principles. And, and, and it, this, this country would be a harbinger of freedom for so many. They knew that it would be blessed by God and they were willing to give even their earthly lives to that end. No one really chronicles uh, the sacrifice made by our founding fathers better than the late Paul Harvey. <laughs> I love Paul. I love Paul Harvey. He he was um, a master at being able to take history in many cases and just make it come alive and. I think you're going to, you're going to really like this. I, I want to play it, this, th- this thing for, for you today from him. Um, as we head into this, this 4th of July celebration, 
Um, I, I, I think it's really important that you hear this. Please take a moment to listen to what it took and what was sacrificed for the God-given freedoms that we have today. We are celebrating the 4th of July, which is the, the, the birthday of our country. But it's, it's, we're not just celebrating a birthday. We're celebrating a country and a, and a formation of a country that had never been formed before. It, it, nothing like it had ever been conceived before. But these men, they, they took with, with understanding it was going to t- take great sacrifices. They took these chances and they sacrificed for the freedoms that we have today. Now, we, we, we you know, worry if our internet's going to work very fast or whatever the case may be. Back then, this was, th- this was everything. They gave many of them everything. Here is Paul Harvey and our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Americans, the how and the why of our beloved republic are so much better known and understood than the who. The United States of America was born in 1776, but it was conceived 169 years before that. The earliest settlers had watered the New World with much sweat, They had built substantial holdings for themselves, for their families. And when the time came to separate themselves from a tyranny an ocean away, at best it meant starting all over again after the ravages of war. Researching what you're about to hear gave a whole new dimension to my reverence for our nation's first citizens. All others of the world's revolutions before and since were initiated by men who had nothing to lose nothing to lose. Our founders had everything to lose and nothing to gain except one thing. Hello Americans, I'm Paul Harvey. You remember the cherry tree fiction a long time after you have forgotten the more earth-shaking history-making episodes in the life of George Washington. You have misplaced in your memory the details of Ben Franklin's statesmanship, but you remember his flying a kite. Joyce Kilmer was a great military hero. But the only thing you personally recall about him is his poetic tribute to trees. Maybe of this current decade, that which will be remembered best will not be its wars and its moon rockets or its crumbling frontiers or the giants who lived and died. Maybe all that will survive to linger in the day-by-day vocabulary of generations yet unborn may be the, the songs of a Memphis minstrel or the reincarnation of electric automobiles. But for any eve of the 4th of July, I, Paul Harvey, do herewith bequeath unto you something to remember. You may not be able to quote one line from the Declaration of Independence at this moment. Henceforth, you'll always be able to quote at least one line. It's in the last paragraph where you will recall when I remind you, it says, We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. 
In the Pennsylvania State House that's now called Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the best men from each of the colonies sat down together. This was a very fortunate hour in our nation's history, one of those rare occasions in the lives of men when we had greatness to spare. These were men of means, well-educated, 24 were lawyers and jurists, nine were farmers, owners of large plantations. On June 11, a committee sat down to draw up a declaration of independence. We were going to tell the British fatherland, no more rule by redcoats. Below the dam of ruthless foreign rule, the stream of freedom was running shallow and muddy. And we were going to light a fuse to dynamite that dam. This pact, as Burke later put it, was a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. There was no bigotry. There was no demagoguery in this group. All had shared hardships. Jefferson finished a draft of the document in 17 days. Congress adopted it in July, and so much is familiar history. But now, King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors. Punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence, the names were kept secret for six months for each knew the full meaning of that magnificent last paragraph in which his signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Fifty-six men placed their names beneath that pledge. Fifty-six men knew when they signed that they were risking everything. They knew if they won this fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship in a struggling nation. And if they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope. But they signed the pledge. And here is the documented fate of that gallant 56. Carter Braxton of Virginia, wealthy planter, trader, saw his ships swept from the seas. To pay his debts, he lost his home and all of his properties and died in rags. Thomas Lynch, Jr., who signed that pledge, was a third-generation rice grower, aristocrat, large plantation owner. After he signed, his health failed. His wife and he set out for France to regain his failing health. Their ship never got to France, was never heard from again. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy that he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and in hiding. Vandals looted the properties of Ellery and Clymer and Hall and Gwinnett and Walton and Hayward and Rutledge and Middleton. Thomas Nelson, Jr. of Virginia, raised $2 million on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he personally paid back the loans, wiped out his entire estate, and he was never reimbursed by his government. In the final battle for Yorktown, he, Nelson, urged General Washington to fire on his, Nelson's own home, which was occupied by Cornwallis. It was destroyed. Thomas Nelson, Jr. had pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. The Hessians seized the home of Francis Hopkinson of New Jersey. Francis Lewis had his home and everything destroyed, his wife imprisoned. She died within a few months. Richard Stockton, who signed that declaration, was captured, mistreated, his health broken to the extent that he died at 51, his estate was pillaged. Thomas Hayward, Jr. was captured when Charleston fell. 
John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside while she was dying. Their 13 children fled in all directions for their lives. His fields and grist mill were laid waste. For more than a year he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his properties gone. And he died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. Lewis Morris saw his land destroyed, his family scattered. Philip Livingston died within a few months from the hardships of the war. John Hancock, history remembers best due to a quirk of fate rather than anything he stood for, that great sweeping signature attesting to his vanity towers over the others. One of the wealthiest men in New England. And yet he stood outside Boston one terrible night of the war. And he said, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock a beggar, if the public good requires it. So he too lived up to the pledge. Of the 56, few were long to survive. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes from Rhode Island to Charleston sacked, looted, occupied by the enemy or burned. Two lost their sons in the army. One had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or from its more merciful bullets. I don't know what impression you had had of the men who met that summer in Philadelphia. But I think it's important that we remember this about them. They were not poor men. They were not wild-eyed pirates. These were men of means. They were rich men, most of them, and had enjoyed much ease and luxury in their personal living. Not hungry men, certainly not terrorists, not irresponsible malcontents, not fanatical incendiaries. These men were prosperous men, wealthy landowners. They were substantially secure in their prosperity. They had everything to lose. But they considered liberty, and this is as much as I shall say of it. They had learned that liberty is so much more important than security, that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And they fulfilled their pledge. They paid the price. And freedom was born. <laughs>